We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us on the program again today. I'm delighted to have your company, and I have a very special guest. He's no longer a stranger to 3ABN Australia Radio, and that is the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs, Tony Benjamin. Tony, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and I think this is the third program for Souls Under the Altar that you have done, excluding the one where you shared your testimony. And I understand that that program has been downloaded and has gone right around the world. Even in the Middle East, we've had people downloading that program and listening to it. So we praise God for that, that the message is getting out. Yes, it's always good. As we said, it's good to be doing God's work, but it's even more uh, encouraging to see where it's ended up. I mean, we've had, we were very surprised to see where that interview has ended up in places like Russia, China, many other places around the world. It's been very encouraging. Mm. Oh, well, praise, praise the Lord for that. Now, you've just come back from a recent trip in some hotbeds where there is definite persecution, even to churches being bombed and uh, people being attacked. But maybe we could start with uh, you were in Saba just recently. You can, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your work in, in Saba and what you're doing there. And the Saba, for those who don't know, is, is in Malaysia. Yep. Yeah. That is correct, yes. Yes, I was in Saba a few weeks ago, and I was working with some uh, pastors from Brunei. Brunei? The, okay, some pastors yeah, from Brunei. The kingdom of Brunei. They are 0.2% of the population as Christians there. Mm. It's a Muslim country under Sharia law. Wow. Um, so it's a very difficult environment for these guys. And so this, these, is, this is dangerous for those pastors to actually be Christians in the, the empire or the, 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 the country of Brunei. Yes, it is. Uh, mm. For example, they cannot walk around with a Bible in public. Right. They cannot have worship in any other place but their own homes. Mm. So churches, uh, church services are often conducted at night in their homes. Right. Um, during the Ramadan or the fasting period now, they cannot be seen eating in any public place during the day mm. while the Muslims are fasting. Right. They cannot celebrate any of the feasts or the, the the main celebrations that we have as Christians throughout the year. Right. They cannot celebrate them publicly. They have to do it in the privacy of their own homes. Mm. So it's quite a challenge, and it's a, an even bigger challenge for them to get any Christian literature into the country. Right. So it's it's basically banned. So you you can't walk, be walk, walking around with a Bible, but you can't be selling Bibles, I guess, in the in the kingdom. No, you can't. Mm. Yep. So the work that we do there, we support their ministries over there. We help them. Um, we're able to assist where we can and um, support the evangelism work that they're doing, but also assist them with some micro-business that they're doing so that they can actually be self-sufficient at some stage. So that's mm. the work we're doing there, yes. Wow. So, I mean, how 
how do these people and their families, how did they become Christian? Were they, um, I mean, because I guess if you become a Christian there, that will be under Sharia law, that will be outlawed. So you can't proselytize. Correct, yes. And I, I really can't say too much about specifics over there, but mm. there are evangelists that have gone over there in the past and they do hold services there. So people know about the gospel. Okay. Not everybody, obviously. Mm. So a lot of it is done covertly, and it's no different to any other restricted nation that's okay. governed by Islam, mm. where things are done through word of mouth or they've experienced the Lord in a dream and then make an inquiry afterwards and feel that convicted that that they know this is not Muhammad or Allah or whatever the case may be. Is mm. They know this is... A God thing When I say God I mean the Lord that we serve As mm. in Jesus Christ They know it's that So they will then go and find out Where Christians are Or they will try and source Christian literature And that's what normally uh, Sees the situation complete Where they do convert to Christianity And then live their lives as a Christian Yeah. And from my experience And from some of the people we deal with uh, There were some pretty influential people In the Muslim culture that have uh, converted to Christianity. Wow! So it's a it's a it's a solid ministry. It's a good ministry, but it's a ministry that's struggling for resources because of the challenges to actually get resources into the country. Mm. Well, since my association with Voice of the Martyrs, I've become more and more aware how God is actually reaching into those restricted countries, especially amongst the, the Muslim countries where God actually reaches his people through dreams, and they know clearly in their mind that this is God the creator, but they also know this is Jesus. And yes. some, I've even heard in Australia uh, of people who've had those dreams and say, I just can't forget about Jesus. So he's opening those ways, and then, of course, they want to read the word, they want to get into the Bible and understand that more fully. Well, that is fascinating. So those are some of the things that you're working with. These people... You know, at even the expense of their life at times are, uh, are sharing the gospel. It's dangerous for them. Are there any other things that you're doing within Saba as Voice of the Martyrs? Yes, we are. Um, Saba is quite a unique uh, place in that many of the um, escapees from um, Islam, from Mindanao and the Philippines, come into Saba. Okay. The Malaysian government has been pretty... Um, Liberal in allowing them to stay okay. But these guys don't have any rights They don't have any um, Support within the country Through the normal systems That a citizen would have there Right. Okay. So they are classified as stateless So right. the kids can't go to school They can't get any um, Government type jobs Anything, all they can do is casual work hmm. So it's a pretty tough life For these people, yeah. but it's obviously safer From where they've uh, They've Rather than from where they've come Yeah, so it's, it's a bad spot But it's a lot better than where they were persecuted Correct, yes yeah. So we've, we run uh, school programs And we support school programs there For these kids And at, at one of these facilities We have 112 kids Wow, so that, that's we, quite a number yeah, That is a lot of kids And they're from 5 to 13 years old And we need to do this And it's important that we do this Because many of these kids When they're roaming the streets like that Are Attracted to radical Islam because of the promises, be they false, mm. that are made for these people to be part of Islam. Okay. And if you look at what's happened in Indonesia recently, you quite quickly see that 
they are prepared to use children for their cause also. So it's important that we can assist and try and get good Christian teaching into that school, mm. which is what we're doing. And we've got we're working with local ministries there that are providing the resources for this. It's obviously not enough, and that's where Voice of the Martyrs has stepped in to assist. Now, the school is not purely Christian children that are stateless. Okay. It's also some Muslim children. But they are getting a Christian teaching at the school oh, by wonderful. Christian teachers. And that will also then counteract that radical influence potentially because, I Correct. mean, if, if you don't influence the kids one way, the Muslims will get a hold of them possibly, uh, the radical Muslims that, that is, and they may influence them the other way. Exactly. So, but praise the Lord for the work that you're doing there. That's a very important role. Thank you. You know, when, mm. you look at, when you look at Islam and you look at the time when they adopt these kids to actually um, learn their faith, mm. it's from a very, very, very young age. So it's never too early for us to intervene where we can. You know, right, and I think yes. it's important for us to intervene where we can mm. because that is the generation that we can impact. It's sometimes very difficult to impact the adults, but with the younger ones we can um, we can change their lives. Yeah, when the minds are still open and they yes. haven't been prejudiced yet yes, exactly. against, against the yeah. gospel and that. Well, that is a very important role. But if you guys weren't doing it, who else would be doing it? I mean, the, the, the potential for those people to be radicalized and hurt innocent people or persecute Christians, you could be turning a life around that may have become a persecutor to someone who now is actually on the Lord's side and even may, may be martyred one day. That is correct. And, you know, you said who else would be doing it. Most of the ministries, and I don't want to be critical of any ministry, it's mm. not my place. Yes. But I will say that Voice of the Martyrs is a unique ministry in that we go into the difficult places where many of the ministries shy away from. You know, evangelism is important. It's all very good. It's a necessary thing that we do. Mm. And if somebody's called to do that, good on them. Yes. But this is what we call to do. Okay. So we would go into the two hard basket places and we would work and impact these people. And in many cases, it's at great cost to the locals that work with us. Mm. Okay, so you take on the high-risk projects that other people may be walking away from because it's too dangerous. Yes, we do. Mm. Well, praise God that your ministry exists. That's that's very wonderful to hear, and I've been really inspired by what I've read and seen so far. Now, uh, your trip there, I think, was interrupted somehow. You ended up somewhere else, but perhaps you can tell us what happened and why it caused you to leave Sabah and go elsewhere. Sure. While I was in Sabah uh, on May the 13th, I was uh, made aware and we saw in the media of the bombings in Surabaya and in Indonesia. Mm. And I made contact with our local people in Indonesia and they encouraged me to get there as soon as I could. So the bombings uh, started on Sunday and continued through to Monday uh, with bombings at the police stations. I got there on Tuesday and immediately got caught up in the whole melee of what happened there. Yes. I must say getting into Indonesia was a little bit difficult at this point in time because they scrutinized everybody that was coming in, mm. whether you were a local or whether you were a foreigner. They wanted to know why you were there, right. which in itself proves to be a challenge for us. Mm. In saying that, I immediately, with our local contacts, um, attended some of the wakes of the victims of those bombings right. 
Now, the bombings were totally indiscriminate, and I have it on good authority from the pastor of one of the churches there that shared with me that there were more bombs that the police had defused that had actually not gone off at other churches. Mm. Okay? The other thing was the the church that got the greatest damage done and the most amount of victims was the GPPS Pentecostal Church there. Yeah. And I said to the pastor, Pastor Yonatan, I said, why do you think they targeted your church? He said, well, we have a proud history at this church. We are the oldest church in Indonesia, Christian church in Indonesia. Okay. Not only that, but the church has got a history of sending out many missionaries into the field through the Bible college. Mm. And it's obvious why they were targeted. But he also said to me that the authorities had heard whispers in a few weeks prior to what happened that their church got mentioned. So this was a very well-planned, orchestrated thing. Um, The scary thing for me was that when you looked at how it all happened, and I'm going to focus on the GPPS church, the, the... the service had in excess of a thousand people. It was a six a.m. normal Sunday morning service. Right. Had that uh, series of bombs gone off ten minutes after it did, mm. many more people would have been killed. Not just the seven or eight that were killed at that church. Right. Because the pastor was closing the service, doing the benediction, when the bombs went off. Mm. Five or ten minutes later. More than half of the people would have been in that area. Right, the areas where the bombs were. When that van, that black Toyota van drove and and forced its way into the parking lot Mm. and just exploded. One of the victims was a 15-year-old boy, Daniel was his name. And he lives with his grandmother, but him and his, uh, his grandmother and his sister and him and his dad look after the parking lot on a Sunday. And he was getting pocket money tips to help his grandmother support the household with what he was doing. And he was also um, a member of the church youth band. He played the drums. Mm. He was working that car park that morning of the 13th of May. And when this van forced its way into the car park of the GPPS church, and he tried to get the van to stop. And the van kept edging and moving forward and try to get around him to get closer to the main entrance. Mm. And uh, he was his life was taken that day in mm. the most cruel of ways that the only way that they could identify him mm. was by the cap he had on. Really? So that was pretty, you know, it was, it was really, really gut-wrenching because mm. I then interviewed the grandmother and his sister afterwards. And, you know, I looked at my own experience with my own grandmother and how close I was with her. Yes. So this grandmother, it was it was absolutely heartbreaking to 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 listen to her share of her grandson. Mm. So what Voice of the Martyrs has done is I've started a Daniel scholarship at the Bible College at the church. Okay. And we will fund um fifty Bible students for three years. Um, to attain a bachelor's degree in theology and go into the mission field. Okay, praise the Lord for so that. So that's what we've done. Mm. Besides that, we've offered other help, and the Indonesian government had said they would they would cover all the damage, but 
All governments say that. Mm. And it's an election year in Indonesia, so we don't know what's actually going to happen. Yes. The fortunate thing was that I was there. There were immediate needs. We were able to pay for and take care of those immediate needs because that church, when that bomb went off, the building structure was compromised. There was no electricity. The Bible students had nowhere to go. Mm. So we funded for temporary accommodation. We find, we supplied them with meals. There were 49 motorcycles that were completely destroyed in that uh, bombing. Mm. And uh, next month in July, if you go onto our website, you'll see the full edition of the newsletter, which is a special edition dedicated to that uh, bombing of the 13th of May. Right. You'll, have, you'll see some of the photographs we have there. That um, 49 motorcycles are now 49 people that don't have any transport. Yes. So we were able to get um, monthly transportation vouchers for them so they could still continue to travel. Mm. We helped with the cleanup of the church so the church could function in some part of it which yes. wasn't damaged. Uh, so that was the immediate help that we could give. In saying that, we're waiting for the outcome now so that we can um, work with the families of those martyrs and see what support they get because that's where VOM is most active in those areas yeah. of ministry um, so we can support the people left behind with all of this. Mm. The families that have lost breadwinners, their grandmothers that have lost grandsons, their, father, their fathers that were killed that have left children and wives behind, um, there's quite a lot of needs that still exist there so and there's still victims in hospital. Mm. So the government's paid for some of the funerals, but then there's the costs that happen afterwards. So we're working very, very closely. This was a great um, situation for us because, you know, I say a great situation because what had happened is Voice of the Martyrs globally yeah. were in on this, and we okay. are in on this. Mm. And all of the the sister missions that we have around the world have contacted me as I was the one there soonest and have offered their support for any needs that arise out of that uh, sad situation that took place on the 13th of May. Mm. That is a very sad situation, but what I what I like about what you're able to do today uh, for our listeners well is to take that nebulous, faceless, nameless victim who's been martyred for their faith because these were Christians that were targeted, and you've been able to put a name to it. You've been able to explain the situation with the family. Families impacted, grandparents impacted, parents, children impacted by this this horrendous crime perpetrated against uh, God's faithful people. You know, the the encouraging thing for me, because you're trying to look in a situation as complex and as difficult as it was for me, you try to see light at the end of the tunnel in it. Mm. And for me, that light came when I interviewed the pastor who was conducting the Sunday service. Yes. And he said to me, you know, Tony, I'm sitting with a divided church at the moment that I have to speak to and encourage mm. not to bear any hatred. There are those that want to continue and they just want to move on and forgive, but there are others that do not want to because many of them have had family members who were impacted either permanently as they've died yes. or were maimed yeah. in these bombings. Mm. And he said, the church must stay strong. We have to move on. Mm. We have to know that at some stage, we may not know it now, 
what God's purpose and intention is for us moving forward with that situation. So he's encouraging that spirit of forgiveness, but he's seeing some people are really struggling with it. And it's yes. almost like they want to have a backlash and they want to, uh, you know, I don't know if the word vengeance is the right word to use, but they they want some sort of consequences on those people and those yes. radical people that have done yes. this to them. Yeah. You know, something else that came out of it also, I was able to, through various means, see some of the faces of the bombers that took many of these people's lives. Mm. And there were families and children that did these bombings. And when you look at those children's faces, it's very difficult to understand the mindset that goes behind a parent strapping something onto their child and sending them in to die. The faces of absolutely innocent little children. Mm. I actually saw in the news that one, after they'd done the bombing at the church, they went to that checkpoint with the police at the police station there. And I think there was one or two motorcycles there, and there were two or three kids. There were three or four people on these motorcycles, and they blew themselves and the kids up. And I think one little girl actually survived the uh, the explosion somehow. Those are the photographs that I have, yes. That's the photograph? Well, yes. And absolutely it, it, horrendous. But that mindset, that radicalization is hard to comprehend. But, you know, this should serve as a wake-up call for us because when you look at the family that went into the first lot of churches, the there was a Protestant church and a Pentecostal church, the one family did, mm. okay? If you look at the family, the pictures were on the BBC, they were all over. It was like your next-door neighbor. You wouldn't bat an eyelid if you saw them. Really? And this is what we've been saying all the while. We cannot treat Islamic extremism with complacency. Mm. You know, it's it's a very difficult thing to try to understand why anybody would do what they're doing like that. But all the more reason for us to be vigilant when we're dealing with this. Yes. And prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have. Mm. But prayer alone is not enough. We can do more. And that is what our ministry does. We are doing more. We can always do even more. But I don't think we can ever say we've done enough. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 interesting that you that you bring that up because there are some things that God has given us the ability to do if we just pray and do nothing. But I don't think we're being faithful stewards of the talents and the abilities and even the resources that God has given us. But I believe God is calling us today to to rise up, to support His gospel and His ministry, and especially our persecuted brothers and sisters out in other parts of the world who don't have the freedoms that we have here. You know, the tide may turn. One day we may be in in those situations where we're being persecuted for our faith. But God sees his people in all denominations. We believe that God has his faithful people in all churches who are prepared to lay down their life, to risk their lives. And it's time for us to stand up and also to support, provide support for these poor people and their families. Just to quote a a phrase of Jesus himself where he said, we have to pray for the persecuted, but also pray for those who persecute us. Mm. And I think that's very, very, very very important. We're never going to be able to move on. If there's no forgiveness, mm, mm. yes, that is that is true. So uh, the work there is ongoing, obviously. The work is ongoing. We're dealing with the aftermath now. Everything has died down. The environment in Indonesia is still very, very, very tense. Mm. Absolutely tense. So we need to be careful. The Indonesian authorities are really scouring Indonesia to try and root out any of these types of things because they've also felt, as you mentioned, the bombings at the 
police station yes. that that the authorities are being targeted. Mm. It's a very difficult time for Indonesia, as I said. They are in election mode. Muslim radicalism in in Indonesia is at an all-time high. Um, we do not believe this is going to be the end of it, sadly. Okay. So we have to be vigilant, and uh, we can do as much as we can do. But we ask others to pray. We ask others to keep us in our prayers, but keep the Indonesian people in their prayers. Mm. You know, we don't constantly want to be dealing with this. I think you know, right. there are better ways to deal with it. But we have to be vigilant. We have to be absolutely vigilant because this is not an isolated incident. We're still having problems in other areas. We've had recent issues in Cameroon. We've had recent issues with Islamic extremism in Nigeria, which is ongoing there also. So we're dealing with quite a few challenges at the moment like this. And it's as if the Islamic world is moving to cause as much disruption as they can at this point in time. Wow, that's interesting. So when people hear these stories, they hear about the lives impacted, they hear about your programs there, if they want to get in touch and they want to support it, can you just share your contact details so that we can make sure that people can get in touch with you? People can go onto the website, which is www.vom.com.au. All the information of how they can get involved, how they can support the ministry that we do, how they can pray, all of that information is on our website. So I encourage you to please go onto the website and find more information. Contact us if you need to. We're happy to provide you with as much information as you possibly need. But also we'd love you to partner with us in this Mm. work that we do in looking after those that are persecuted for their faith. Right. So your your ministry is a ministry that's indiscriminate in regards to Christianity. So these are Christians that are persecuted regardless of their um, denominational connection. If if they are struggling because of their faith and their love for the Lord, you will step in and help them regardless of uh, which church they belong to. Yes, we will. Mm. So, dear listener, we uh, we pray that you've been encouraged by this. I mean, this is really sad news that we're sharing with you, but we've got fellow believers in other parts of the world who do not have the freedoms that we have. Although we go on the Internet, so we're reaching many countries, and we've started noticing that we are even now being listened to in the Middle East. Um, so these people are struggling. They need our prayers, and they need our help. If you can help financially, that's great. But if you, all you can do is pray, then please pray because God answers prayer. We, we, we serve a living God who is powerful, is able to turn circumstances around. There are many people who risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. There are many people in prison and even in labor camps for the sake of the gospel. They don't have the freedoms that we have, and they need our support and our prayer, and they need us to intercede on their behalf to bring them before the Lord and ask God to work a miracle in their lives and also in the lives of their family. Thank you very much, Tony, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure. We, we talk about some very serious and sobering things, but I think we need to, need to hear these things and understand them so that we can rouse to action to support God's people around the world. Thank you for allowing me to share. My pleasure. So, dear listener, thank you for joining us today here on Souls Under the Altar. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, God bless.
Thank you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.